Welcome back to another episode of Talking with Friends. Today, we're excited to welcome back Amber, aka Critique Geek, to the podcast. Hi, Amber. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me again. Yeah, well, you know, we're we're getting into it with Faramir and Eowyn once more, so my baby have you back. Yes, had to have you back. <laughs> so, with that in mind, uh, for today's episode, we're talking about the chapters "The Steward and the King" and "Many Partings," which so so roughly corresponds to three hours and 42 minutes and 39 seconds into Return of the King extended edition to three hours and 47 minutes and 46 seconds. Um, I say roughly because in this movie, uh, this is essentially reduced to just Aragorn's coronation. And there's a little bit of Frodo narrating. Um, However, like, the after the coronation. However, several other things happen uh, related to Aragorn becoming king and the last travels of our fellowship. And of course, as we just were talking about, we get to see a little bit of Eowyn and Faramir in the Houses of Healing and what they're up to while everybody else is fighting Sauron. So the chapter of the steward and the king starts out by backtracking to what has been going on in Minas Tirith while Aragorn and crew are marching to the Black Gate, um, movie fans may remember a scene with Faramir and Eowyn back at three hours and seven minutes and 33 seconds then, um, where they're in the Houses of Healing. And this is essentially where this chapter is. Um, so we haven't generally done a lot of backtracking, but this one happens so, this one lines back up with the end so much that it, it didn't really make sense to talk about it before. Um, so, spoiler alert, this is, uh, the chapter where we actually get to see Eowyn and Faramir fall in love, uh, and I, I really think it's a fascinating development for Eowyn's character, and if you'll remember last time Amber was here, we're the one, we broke the news to Anna because she wasn't, we knew she wasn't going to be here to, uh, talk about these chapters that Eowyn and, and Faramir get together in the end, and she'd only ever watched the movies and had no idea, and I was like, Wow. Uh, what a big miss uh, for the movies. Truly, truly. My favorite couple in all of Middle-earth, and they get one tiny little scene and one little extended edition scene, and that's it. Right, they just kind of look at each other. Um, I mean, he in the last extended scene, they, they he does get to say, you know, like, I do not believe this darkness will endure, which is great. I'm glad that he says that, but there's, like, so much else going on with them at this point in the story. And it's sad. It's sad. I mean, you know, especially when we built all this time around Eowyn throwing herself at Aragorn. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just like, you couldn't do that for her. Like, I don't know. It's just, it's sad. Well, I know I've spoken to people about this before. I've actually, I made a video about this relationship fairly recently and why it's my favorite. Mm. And there were some folks in the comments that felt that it, they didn't like this ending for Eowyn. They thought that it set back her storyline as a warrior lady. And I feel like I, well, I understand where they're coming from. I feel like that really goes against kind of the lesson of the Lord of the Rings yeah. itself, which is that, you know, it's not the warriors and the soldiers that end up saving the world. It's the regular people who are helping, you know, helping others. Yes. So and I'm I'm really excited that you bring that up because it's one of the things that I have in my notes is about, like, I don't think that this, for Eowyn, 
this isn't so much about her changing who she is because she still continues to be like, you know, she teases him a little bit after he they decide to get married. Like, oh, mm-hmm. will you say that, you know, you've tamed, let them say that you've like tamed a wild woman of the North, or, you know, like have a shield maiden for a wife. And he's like, yeah, they can say whatever they want. I don't care. I love you. You know, it's basically the vibe. So she's not having to give up any part of herself for Faramir. Whereas... I mean, I, we'll, we'll talk about it more, but, like, I think he's a much better match for her and comes into her life at the right time. Whereas Aragorn, I mean, I mean, obviously that wasn't going to happen, not to mention Arwen, but, like, right. he had, he's so obsessed with, like, duty and his role as, like, taking on this kingship particularly in in the books so that it's like he's not he's not thinking about that you know she deserves someone who's gonna be able to prioritize her yep because no one else ever has exactly exactly so in this part they are in the houses of healing and really their first interaction is her coming to faramir to be like hey let me the fuck out of here i i need out she's like i want to be fighting i don't i don't need healing um and i mean he's pretty much in love with her from the get-go um i mean he's a softy he's he's like what a woman you know what i mean um and so she comes up to him and she's like i do not desire healing i wish to ride to war like my brother aemir or better like theoden the king for he died and has both honor and peace and you know, this is like classic Eowyn in a lot of ways, but it also sounds to me like the rash decisions of someone who's grieving. Like right. she, she's mm-hmm. lost her father figure. She's still reeling from that. She's not, whereas Faramir's looking at her as the the woman who defeated the Witch King. She's like, no, I, I gotta get back out there. I'm not doing my part. And, and I really just feel like she's so torn by grief that she, you know, she... She's got to be keeping herself busy, and it's really hard for her to stay in the houses of healing. Um, but what, what's so important here is that remember when she comes up to Aragorn and she's like, I need to be doing something. And he's like, you already have a job. You should be staying with your people. And she's like, what? Like, so that I can mind the houses until, you know, you have no use for them anymore. You know, mm-hmm. classic scene. But Faramir responds, he's like, he doesn't give her a, well, you can't or you shouldn't kind of answer. He responds that death in battle may be coming for us all, you know, if Aragorn and the crew fail at their job, and that Eowyn will be better prepared to face it in her own manner if where there is still time, she does as the healer commands. So he's like, you know, gather your strength now, and if we need to fight, like, you'll be ready and you're because we're not and he's like well you know i'm not healed either so i can't i'm kind of stuck mm-hmm. as well um and eowyn doesn't respond right away but um tolkien writes that as he looked at her it seemed to him that something in her softened as though a bitter frost were yielding at the faint pre-stage of spring and it, there's been several times that they've talked about frost and winter being related to in regard to eowyn mm-hmm. like when aragorn first sees her he thinks she is fair and cold like a morning of pale spring 
And then later in the Houses of Healing, Eomer says to Aragorn that, you know, Aragorn at the time is like, oh, like she's, he noticed this about her when he first met her. And Eomer is like, and he's, you know, Aragorn's like, oh, that's been going on for a while, right? And Eomer is like, I knew not that Eowyn was touched by any frost until she first looked on you. Um, do you guys have any thoughts around this uh, frosty verbiage? <laughs> I mean, as it relates to like how we're kind of seeing who Eowyn is. I, I have mean, some thoughts, but I want you to... Can't we just chalk it up to maybe Eomer is not paying as much attention to his sister as he should have been? Because girlfriend's been going through a lot for a while now. Right, right. Yeah, I think, yeah, that clearly Aragorn is more perceptive than Eomer. Um, and it also makes me think of, like, because whenever it's mentioned, like, the context around it, it makes me think of, it's almost like a combination of both Eowyn's resolve and also despair. Mm-hmm. Like, not unlike what we talked about last week regarding Sam. You know, last week we were talking about making it up Mount Doom, right? And he, Sam has a moment where he at the at once loses hope that they will return home, but it also strengthens his resolve to help Frodo see the task through. And in Eowyn's case, you know, she was watching her king decline, and I feel like she had a better perce- awareness uh, and a better sense of the doom awaiting them than many of the men of Rohan around her. And but but being a shield maiden, she was determined to do her part for her people and not let them go down without a fight. You know, she wanted her people if it would be an end that it would, you know, be an end that deserves honor. Um so now at this point, she is continuing to fight um as you know, it, per in her heart as well as like wanting to do more physical things. Um, all, but she, because she, and she doesn't know that the fight is already kind of won, uh, mm-hmm. but it's interesting how she's still she's holding on to that um, from previously, you know, this like kind of resolve. But she's she's continuing to talk about being ready to die um, at this point. I feel like she's someone who always needs to feel like she has a purpose, right? Mm-hmm. So her, her her purpose is taking care of Theoden. Um, and then, you know, when that purpose is no longer there, then her purpose is fighting. She wants to be a soldier. She wants to help in battle. And then now she's throughout this chapter. That purpose is also gone. So it's kind of about Faramir telling her that, you know, it's okay to rest. You right. can find a new purpose in time. Yeah. Yeah, and and I love that he. One thing that I do love about Faramir is that he doesn't just like, like he see, he say he understands that Eowyn wants space. Like he was like, hey, you know, we'll get you a room that where you can see an window a window that faces east, so that you can kind of see if anyone's coming back. Um, and you know, I'll I'll get you leave to walk around the houses of healing as much as you want, but. He's like, would you hang out with me? <laughs> and she's, and she's like, uh, I don't think so, but thank you. And still, he's not like put off by that. He, he goes to Mary to kind of learn more about her, and I just think that is super classic. Sweet. He, Getting yeah, to he, 
hands. Yeah. Yeah. He, like, actually wants to understand her, you know, and try to get to know her as much as he can. And, And she does eventually hang out with him because, like, what else is there to do? you know um and i think that like i mentioned like the whole softening she i think she likes him but she's still like hanging on to um who she kind of thinks she's supposed to be and she's grieving and it's just a lot it's a lot in this time period where they're just kind of waiting um for what's gonna happen in mordor and faramir also he he's the first person who sees her for all that she is right Mm -hmm. beyond that she's beautiful beyond that she's just you know that she's a fighter he sees like the sadness and everything about her and he loves her just the same and i think that's the cutest dang thing i know i i think that that's one thing where from for me the way that he's written it's that faramir understands eowyn much better than aragorn ever did and i mean like i get it yeah Exactly. Um, And, you know, he kind of, like, lays it out for her, you know, when he's, like, confessing his love. And she admits that she wanted to be loved by Aragorn. And he says, you know, and she said, I I desired to be loved by another. And she's like, and Faramir responds, you desired to have the love of Lord Aragorn because he was high and puissant and you wish to have renown and glory and to be lifted far above the mean things that crawl on the earth. And I'm cutting out some things, but mm-hmm. he goes on to say, but when he gave you only understanding and pity, then you desired to have nothing unless a brave death in battle. But I do not offer you my pity. For you are a lady high and valiant, and have yourself won renown that shall not be forgotten. And you are a lady beautiful, I deem, beyond even the words of the elven tongue to tell. You know, he's saying, like, you are, you know, you, you've kind of given yourself this ultimatum, like, all or nothing, like, I want. Mm-hmm. And I and I think more than loving Aragorn, she, she loved the idea of Aragorn yeah. and what that could do for her. That was and actually it great scene in the films that they did when Aragorn says it's but a thought and a shadow that you love. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good line. And it's true. I mean, she's looking at him and of course, like, yeah, everybody loves Aragorn. You know what I mean? Like, he's a great guy. But at the same time, he's the guy that told you not to go to war. And we would have been really screwed if Eowyn hadn't done that. Yeah, so. Yeah, so, at this, Tolkien writes, Then the heart of Eowyn changed, or else at last she understood it. And suddenly her winter passed, and the sun shone on her. I stand in Minas Arnor, the Tower of the Sun, and behold, the shadow has departed. I will be a shield maiden no longer, nor vie with the great riders, nor take joy only in the songs of slaying. I will be a healer, and love all things that grow and are not barren. No longer do I desire to be a queen. And and I love this because, you know, rather than thinking of this as a total 180 of her character, I think this is Eowyn refinding her hope for the future. Mm-hmm. I mean, you think about, she's talking about things that grow. She's not talking about it killing things anymore. She's talking about, you know, the, a world that can exist with the shadow departing. Yeah. I think it's a maturing that, of her character. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I know that I went through that same 
<laughs> sort of maturity stage. Um, I, I I identify very heavily with Eowyn and her story. Your twenties uh, versus your thirties. Yeah, truly. Where like giving me all the glory. Yeah, and I and I was all about the action and and you know being in there and being uh, ambitious and um, like self self-oriented in, in the way of like my own progress and my own aspirations and stuff. Um, and I, I, I was a, a different person um, before I met my partner for sure, uh, where I was, some would say cold, um, just kind of closed off and not really open to uh, mm. the softer side of myself. Whereas after I met my partner, then I, then I sort of like changed and, and now I do see things differently. And I think that is maturing. I think that's sort of what happened to me anyway. So could be. Think, yeah. yeah. It's also might have to do with how we are socialized as femmes, as women, right? Mm -hmm. In society to where, you know, we're socialized to, to be feminine, but also to see femininity and the softer things as a weakness Mm, because mm -hmm. that's what the patriarchy tells us and to you know revere masculinity and male things that's why little girls are always encouraged to do boy activities and they're just tomboys right it's fine but if a little boy does a traditionally feminine or girly activity then he's looked down upon or made fun of mm -hmm. so i really like this moment where you know she's gone from revering battle and soldiers and tales of men doing you know things in battle and embracing that this other side of her and that there's strength in that too and that it's okay yes. to embrace those Absolutely. things. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. And it and it, to me it just like how much better does she fit with Faramir, who not only like sees her for everything that she is, but he's also the guy that said like I love not the sword for its brightness and you know what I mean? Like it's it's her kind of learning that for herself, you know, that it's not just about um, valor and like the things that you do on the battlefield but it's all the things that you do to make the world better I mean which I think is her you know talking yeah. about the all things that grow and are not barren you know and you can have both you can be all the things if you want to be be all the yeah. things because <laughs> right on the next page she still refers to herself as a shield maiden so she's yeah. not it's just clear that she's not giving up that side of herself but she's adding you know yes um, i love that i love yes. that uh i have been you know trying not to say anything but i okay but i have to i have okay. to i don't i didn't love their love story okay. as much Continue. um just the, with the way it was written um the text focuses so much on her fairness um, being her beauty um, and her sorrow. And Faramir only seems to talk about how fair she is. And it kind of reminded me of a scene from Swan Princess. I think okay. it is. Like the animated, oh my gosh, with Odette. With, with Odette and, and the prince. And he's like, <gasps> oh, I love you. You're so beautiful. And she's like, what, what else? else about me do you love? And he's like, what else is there? Um, that is a great throwback, Callie. <laughs> And I just kind of felt like that when I was, when I 
was reading this chapter anyway. Maybe I'm reading it from like a very, I don't know, certain point of view. But, yeah, I feel but like I may be giving Tolkien a lot of credit <laughs> because I don't think that he's like, there's a lot of things that Faramir says. I mean, but he obviously he does focus on her being pretty. Um, but I think that he is. Um, it's sort of like that. We, yeah, we give him that agency but when i was just listening to it just the words i wasn't mm-hmm. finding it and i yeah. was kind of like oh like did we we read into that did like do we add into that because you we know, like I it guess, <laughs> yeah <laughs> i guess want... that's fair i mean i i do like them together i mean at least better than uh you know eowyn and, and aragorn and i feel like um there are a lot of things about them that complement each other but i guess that for me when i was reading it i guess it would be were you doing the audiobook yes yeah yeah that's an interesting point i mean because when i'm reading it and i'm like taking notes um and like looking at the words on the page for me i guess i read it as like he's not just saying only physically but like inside yeah, that she's also beautiful um get back to the etymology of the word fair again <laughs> we're always there we're so always mean. talking about it it, it yeah because it means beautiful but also at the same time in old english it could have meant like goodness like good of heart as well Whoa. so there's lots of lots of lots of meetings um and tolkien never meant pale unless he said pale i'm just saying yeah. I mean, he tells you when he tells you. Yeah, he yes. does tell yes. you with Eowyn. She is girlfriend yeah, is pale. pale. Yeah, she is yeah. White, she is white. white as Lily Snow is. Yeah. <laughs> it's usually you're usually if you're blonde, you're usually kind of pale. Not always, but right. But in this instance, yes. But yeah, here, yeah, I think at Rohan maybe. Um, but yeah, I know what you're saying. Um, but yeah, I, I took it as that. I think he was kind of using it like a dual purpose word for me, but obviously open to interpretation. Yeah, no, because I, I was tr- I was looking for it. I was, you know, I wasn't trying to read it that way, but that's just what I came came away with. So yeah, I mean. I- but to be fair, on my notes here, I li- literally reading, I have love story, love story, love story, dot, 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 then eagle. So I guess yeah. we know what parts that I'm excited about. So. And eagle. And eagle. I know. It always comes back to the eagles. I know. I love that. I mean, it's like, I think that's probably one of the main times that we see them act as like a messenger. I mean. It's true. He he comes and he's like he's like a doing a little bit of a is it a poem would you say or is it just kind of like a uh, a chant of some kind I don't know but he's like announcing that the Dark Lord has been defeated and that's how everybody finds out um, <laughs> and you know rejoicing commences yay the days that followed were golden and spring and summer joined yay good time it's a good time and you know this is when everybody starts preparing for aragorn's coronation now um in the movie um it's it's fairly different like it happens on outside of the city 
uh, in the book, and it's like this ceremony of like, hey, do we let him be the king? And everyone goes, yeah! Um, <laughs> and then they let him in. Um, you know, they do the thing with the crown or whatever, but truly, as thinking about just like the film version, I really love the scene. I really love that scene in the movie. Like, not only is it just beautiful, like, I love the reunion with Arwen and, like, I mean, you couldn't trade you bow to no one for, for anything, right? No. <laughs> I mean, oh, no, absolutely. It's a, it's a, it's a great scene and it's, um, and it feels it chokes very up nice. everyone. Yeah. I mean, oh, it's like, yeah, it's every nice to like have everybody there at once and, and looking all fancy. Um, but yeah, like in the, in the book, um, Faramir meets Aragorn outside of Minas Tirith with the crown, gets the whole city to welcome him inside. Like, Gandalf is still the one that places the crown on his head, but he also has Frodo hand the crown to Gandalf. Mm-hmm. Um, and because, and I get it, like, in the movie, they don't have him do that because they want Frodo and all the hobbits at the end so that they can not bow to anyone. Um, and they have and they have Gimli kind of standing in for where Frodo probably should have mm-hmm. stood in that scene, which also... Adorable. But we got to get to that you bow to no one, you know? I know. I mean, I, I get it. It's fine. Like, it's it's very sweet. Um, and I'm sure that it, I mean, it makes me cry. That's for sure. Um, and the, you know, there there is um, another similarity in that the song that Aragorn sings or could have recited Um those are that actually happens and um this is something that i think you know our rings of power watchers can maybe look out for in future seasons um because these are the words that elendil spoke um when he came out of the sea on the wings of the wind and they translate to out of the great sea to Middle Earth, I am come. In this place will I abide, and my heirs unto the ending of the world. So I don't know if they'll have a Lindell in the show uh, use the Elvish or say it in English, but uh, there's not very many lines, direct lines they can pull. So I would be surprised if they left this one out. <laughs> we'll be looking for it for sure. Yeah, I mean we gotta wait till. Uh, Numenor is destroyed, but <laughs> after that, <laughs> spoiler alert! Anytime, <laughs> but um, I, I, I know this would have made dismal movie watching, <laughs> but the part in the book where Aragorn is looking forward to. So in the book version, Arwen doesn't arrive immediately. There's like some waiting period. And yes. preparations are being made and stuff. And, and Aragorn's like sign. excited energy. He's like, you know, I just, I just think that is the sweetest thing. Like he's gone through the hardest of battles, but he's giddy thinking about his woman and and his marriage. And you know, like I, I, I really, I know that wouldn't have made for good movie <laughs> watching, <laughs> but um, it was very, it was, it was, it was, it was, it was nice in the books. It yeah, was, I yeah, love nice that energy. he, he's like telling the fellow he's so cryptic i don't know why he's like this but he like <laughs> tells you know frodo's starting to be like maybe i should go home and aragorn's like there's something that i would really like all of my friends to be here for <laughs> and everyone's like all right <laughs> <laughs> but 
he's like says to Gandalf how he's like looking for a sign, and so Gandalf is like, "Hey, I got something to show you." And um, <laughs> so, movie watchers, a reminder: the White Tree is dead in the courtyard of the Citadel and Minas Tirith. In the movie, they show it starting to reflower again, but that tree is very dead, okay? She's not flowering for anybody anymore. So um, Gandalf takes Aragorn up the backside of Minas Tirith, up the mountain, and um, he they find a sapling, and it is growing like out of the snow, but it's not just any sapling. This is a sapling of the line of Nimloth the Fair, aka the White Tree of Numenor, aka the you know descendant of the White Tree of Gondor. Um, and you know it's like a it's a miracle that it was growing in the first place. Gandalf says it is said that though the fruit of the tree comes seldom to ripeness, yet the life within may then lie sleeping through many long years, and none can foretell the time in which it will awake. So it's. And, you know, uh, Aragorn guesses that the sapling is, like, seven years old. Um, It's a little baby tree. And it it comes loose pretty easily, and they're able to replant it. And I think it's interesting that they take the the dead tree to Rathdenet, or, you know, like, the the tombs. Rathdenet, I think it is. Yeah, like... They just bury it like it's. <laughs> yeah, they like put it in uh, like the halls of the king. Like, yeah, the king. it's a respectful lay it in, ending. Lay it in tree. honor. It's a very special yeah, tree. It's pretty precious. Yeah. So, this is what Aragorn takes as that Arwen gets to come now and he sets watchers on the wall. Um, and, you know, she does come. She's accompanied by. Her brothers and Elrond. We've also got Grandma Galadriel and Celeborn here. <laughs> um, and, you know, while we don't see Arwen Aragorn's wedding in the movie, and we don't, I wouldn't say we see it in the book really either. We just are told that it happened. It's mentioned. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, but I was thinking about this when their reunion happens in the movie. And I feel like I've watched the scene a billion times, but for whatever reason, this time I decided to watch Elrond's face oh, as he kind no. of gives Arwen away. Mm-hmm. And I, I I burst into tears. Oh, I, I was like, this has never happened to me before, but he I was just, devastated. He knows. He knows he's giving his daughter away to the man whom she loves, but he knows she's also going to die now. And it's just yeah. like there's this, all this pain on his face. It's such great subtle acting by Hugo oh. Weaving, like so good. I mean, and it's been there this whole time. Like, <laughs> <laughs> but it also yeah. makes me think about like when I was first watching the, you know, many a time when I've watched these movies, but pre Silmarillion, Andy, I was always looking at like the joy on Arwen and Aragorn's faces, right? But then in the mm. background, I mean, you've got, you kind of see Elrond mouth something to her, and I think it's go to him. Like, he's yeah. officially saying, yes, like, this can happen. You know what I mean? Like, we, we've talked about the ultimate, like, the conditions for Aragorn marrying Arwen previously. Like, right. he, Elrond's like, she's not gonna be immortal for anyone less than the King of Gondor. Okay. And then he's like, all right, well, here it is. Um, and you can tell that he... You know, he does smile at the end, like he's happy for them, but his his own heart is breaking, and it's like, oh, 
God. Tolerance just had a rough life. He got dealt a very tough hand in life. Like, he may be an elf lord. He may be super powerful, but he's, like, never happy. Yeah. Amber, do you want to give us a a refresh on Elrond's backstory for everyone that may have forgotten when we talked about it several weeks ago? Let's see. Well, his parents are in the sky. (laughs) (laughs) he had to choose whether he was going to be an elf or a mortal man and he chose to be an elf but his twin brother chose to be immortal so his brother dies then he finally gets like a hint of happiness when he marries his wife Calabrian but of course after she gives him you know the twin sons and Arduin she's eventually attacked by orcs and like tortured so badly that even though he physically heals her her spirit is broken and she's never able to fully heal. So she ends up leaving Middle-earth and crossing over to Valinor to, to finally heal. And now his only daughter chooses to be mortal and ends up dying right after her um, husband passes of a broken heart. So, you know, he's really just... By that time, of course, he's in Valinor himself. Supposedly, like, hopefully reunited with his wife. But yeah, he really, uh, really goes through it. <laughs> Yeah, and Tolkien never says if uh, his sons join him or not. Yeah, we have no idea what happens to the twins. Oof. So, I mean, it's just like, wow, Elrond. The fact that you give your blessing here, I mean, you're strong. You, I mean, he's a good dude. He's a good dude. But my heart does break for him. And uh, if you've never watched Elrond's face in that scene, I recommend that you do so the next time you pop in Virtue of the King. I remember we did a whole analysis of that scene once in one of my film classes during undergrad. Oh, really? It was a religious studies film class. And my professor actually went on for like 20 minutes about the queerness of that scene between Aragorn and Legolas and how they had to subvert it by having Legolas look directly at Arwen to be like, haha, they're not actually queer. Just <laughs> kidding, we got you. It was like the weirdest class ever, but I Oh loved my god. <laughs> wow. Yeah. I have not I had not noticed that. <laughs> Aragorn and Legolas. Yeah, it was. I mean, they like they come up and they like puts their, you know. Yeah, film studies is wild, y'all. Film studies classes are wild. (laughs) (laughs) Amazing, but yeah, it's. it's, uh, I always felt like that Legolas was just kind of like in on the reveal. He's like, hey, hey, guess who I got behind me? And then I understand why they did everything they did in that sequence because they were including, you know, all the surviving members of the Fellowship one at a time. Right. Right. Uh, yeah, and and it's it's funny, you know, we were just talking about all the Ao and Faramir stuff, and like they just are like clapping next to each other politely and look know? at each other. They just have another glance. That's all they yeah. get the theatrical cut, a couple glances. Yeah, it it just <laughs> reminds me about how like there's a couple of things uh, Elrond in the scene and like them two standing next to each other. It's really like, hey, we know what happens, or we know what their story is with these two or these guys, you know, mm-hmm. um, but. He, you know, you only if you know, you know. But if you don't, then it's fine. You don't, don't worry about it. <laughs> don't worry about it. Um, do we have any other thoughts on Aragorn's coronation before we go on to many partings? No, just I think 
I know we were talking about this a little while ago, comparing like the film and how the book has so many more things happen that the film cut. So That's because the film has like five endings as it is, like five theatrical quality endings. It's like right. they cut it there, they could have got that there. So I, I mean, and they fade to black and or white like several times. times. Yeah. Very yeah. misleading. Trying, yes. Yeah, they're trying to avoid um, having another false ending. I get it. I get it. But I would have stayed in the theater if it had just kept going. No, I mean, we don't. <laughs> they would have to, would have had to kick me out. <laughs> I'd be like, no, no, there's one more. One more. One more this... <laughs> I was about to give a spoiler, but I won't do that. <laughs> they didn't want to push all their Oscar luck, you know? I know. Like, Got to tighten this up so we get that award. Yeah, fair. Fair. Mm. So, for uh, many partings, this chapter isn't in the film at all. Um, unless you want to count like the shot of Middle Earth of the Middle Earth map while Frodo is narrating. Thus, it was a fourth age of Middle Earth began, and the Fellowship of the Ring, though eternally bound by friendship and love, was ended. And honestly, I mean, I, I like that line. I it hurts physically to say ended like that. Um, I do think it works for the movie but of course uh this is Tolkien we're talking about and it's um very on brand for us to say goodbye multiple times so first we have you know the whole crew the fellowship Arwen Elrond Eowyn Faramir Amir, Prince Imrahil Galadriel Celeborn we all head to Edoras first uh we gotta bury Theoden proper like he does get to hang out in the halls uh of the kings for a while but then we've got to bury him with the rest of his fam back at Edoras um and you know but before we go I didn't really know how to fit this into my notes I have too many but you know around this time and of course they don't reveal it in the movie because why would you because it's kind of a surprise when Frodo goes to the Undying Lands in the movie mm -hmm. um but Arwen tells Frodo I completely forgot this until I read it but Arwen is like you can have my spot on the boat because I'm not using it anymore. <laughs> yep, and yep. I think that's so cool. Especially because she like hardly gets to talk to Frodo ever. So I really liked it. She hardly gets to talk in the book, period. I know. I mean, I do love the um, Arwen and Aragorn story in the appendices. But mm -hmm. um, I, I, I do think it's, it's nice. And thinking about the way that the movie does kind of tie... Arwen with Frodo a little bit more with like her taking him to Rivendell like getting him across the ford um I don't know I thought this was sweet and uh and like I get why it's not there in the movie but I do think it's cool and then right afterwards we get Aomer and Gimli fighting over which elf is hottest Arwen or Galadriel <laughs> I know it's so I mean it's like they I mean this is hearkening back to when they first met and Gimli is like you jerk you can't be talking shit about Galadriel I will chop your head off you know what I mean <laughs> and uh they've like and then it's like all right deal I'll concede that I'll, it, when if I ever get to see her I'll let you know if I think she's the most beautiful and and the way Amir comes up to him and is like dude I'm sorry but it's Arwen for me, bro. <laughs> <laughs> and Gimli's like, all right, I guess that's okay. What does he say that he, Amir's chosen the evening and 
Oh, uh, yeah. chosen yeah. the morning. You have chosen the evening, but my love is given to the morning, and my heart forebodes that it that soon it will pass away forever. Ouch. This is yeah. pretty heavy chapter, actually, for them to not have included. I, I know that we've discussed that it probably wouldn't have made very good movie fodder, but yeah. this, there's a lot of like heavy stuff happening. I know, it's a lot of goodbyes. Me, yeah. I mean, yeah, we get to... Well, it's called it, many partings, to be fair. It, so many. Yeah. It, it could be very many partings. <laughs> it's when because we get... after, you know, Edoras, um, well, we leave Aemir and Eowyn and Faramir, Prince Emerhill, and Arwen behind it, Edoras, um, and it talks about how bitter the parting was between Elrond and Arwen here. And it's, oh, it's so bad. It, do- it doesn't give us a lot of details because it notes that nobody saw them say goodbye to each other. Um, they went off to, you know, be by themselves for the last few moments together. Oh, but still, just thinking about it, heart-wrenching. Mm-hmm. Heart-wrenching. But here is where the bro trip begins because we head to Helm's Deep and this is where Gimli gets to show Legolas the glittering caves as Mm -hmm. they have agreed that they would see together and Mm -hmm. Legolas is left like speechless um, which is cool and then they head to Isengard Um, but before that uh, Eowyn, there's just I I just didn't remember this detail either that Eowyn gives Mary an ancient horn, small but cunningly wrought, all of fair silver and baldric and a baldric of green, and writes had engraven upon it swift horsemen riding in a line that wound about it from the tip to the mouth. And she says, "This is an heirloom of our house. It was made by the dwarves and came from the ro- the horde of Skada the Worm." Um, and we were talking about this recently about how there weren't a lot of named dragons you know mm-hmm. we we have like glaurung and caligon um smaug but now we've got skatha forgot about this little guy he didn't show up on the token gateway either <laughs> in the list guy. of dragons so we've got another dragon um and aor the young brought this horn from the north um, not sure if we will see this horn in any future adaptations, but it sounds gorgeous. But I'm looking at you, War of the Rohirrim, if you want to use this horn. Fancy horn, fancy horn. It's Yeah. <laughs> I'd be down. Um, so, so, you know, Mary walks away with this uh, beautiful gift and wrought by the dwarves. So, I mean, pretty cool. Pretty cool. Um, so, but we get to Isengard. And we find out that the Ents have not only been busy cleaning up, uh, but they also stopped, like, another group of orcs from attacking Rohan while everybody was off doing stuff. And also, Treebeard has let Saruman go. After all that promising that he would keep him there. A little uncool. A little uncool, Treebeard. Um, but Gandalf suspects that uh, Saruman used, you know, the last remaining power of his voice that he had, and Treebeard's distaste for keeping living things caged. Yeah, so I think go. those two. Yeah, I think like when I heard his reasoning at, at first, I was like, ah, we we had one job. <laughs> I know. But but then when I heard his reasoning, I was like, oh, and how he, yeah, he hates to cage any living thing, and you're like, yeah. oh, 
Freaking fine. Yeah. Fine. We'll deal with it. <laughs> Don't make promises you can't keep, Treebeard. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we'll, get, we'll get to that more in a minute. But, you know, this is the part where we really see our second breaking of the fellowship because Legolas and Gimli peace out to go um, explore Fangorn on their way home. Because and also Aragorn makes... Yeah, a little <laughs> bro time. Bro, bro honeymoon. Yeah, so they're gonna explore Fangorn um, on their way back to Mirkwood and Netherus. Um, so, but, you know, sad, sad to see him go. However, we get another parting here, and that's between Treebeard, Galadriel, and Celeborn. Mm-hmm. Um, and here is where we hear the iconic lines, you know, for the world is changing. I feel it in the water. I feel it in the earth and I smell it in the air, but this is Treebeard talking to mm-hmm. Galadriel saying that it is sad that we should meet only thus at the ending for the world is changing. I feel it in the water, blah, blah, blah. I do not think that we shall meet again. And unfortunately, I cannot hear this in Treebeard's voice. Can't do it. I only hear it in Elvish and and in, <laughs> and, and, and Galadriel's voice. Right. It's it was so cool that the line actually came from Treebeard, though. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense that he can feel things in the water, in the earth, and in the air, um, being kind of a part of the earth himself. Um, but I do think it's a. Uh, it's a great way to keep those lines, the way that they use them way back at the beginning of Fellowship or before the prologue, you know, like that's our, these are our opening lines. It's the way that many people experience Middle Earth for the first time. Um, we're introduced to Middle Earth uh, via Kate Blanchett's wonderful delivery. Mm-hmm. And um, it's truly, it is a great way to repurpose the lines. It is just a personal flaw of mine that I can no longer hear it. That's Treebeard. <laughs> <laughs> no, and you'd have to say it slower. It would have taken a very long time to say True. anything we're saying. So, <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. So, um, they, you know, they they leave Isengard, and by the end of this chapter, Galadriel and Celeborn they're going to head off by the Redhorn Gate, um, while the rest of our friends head off to Rivendell. However. They don't get there before running into our old pal, Saruman. Saruman. (laughs) And he is the rudest he has ever been. (laughs) He's a sassy pants. He is not having a good time. No, he is not. (laughs) And misery loves company. And that is Saruman at this point. He looks like an old beggar wearing rags on the side of the road. Um, and, you know, of course he's rude to Gandalf, but he really kicks it up a notch for Galadriel and Mary, in my opinion. Um, mm-hmm. To Galadriel, he says, and as for the lady here, I do not trust her. She always hated me and schemed for your part, meaning Gandalf. I do not doubt that she has brought you this way to have the pleasure of gloating over my poverty. And, um, ladies, does this not sound like so many internet trolls that claim they've, like, discovered a conspiracy where there is none? (laughs) Like, 
yeah. schemed for Gandalf? Are you serious? This lady plotted my downfall. She's doing this just to hurt me personally. Me. And then I love her response. <laughs> Where she says, Saruman, we have other errands and other cares that seem to us more urgent than hunting for you. Yes. <laughs> yes. She's like, dude, you're not even on my radar. Yeah. <laughs> you ain't even in the room. <laughs> so good. Um, yeah. But he, like, keeps going to her, and he says, and it's interesting, you can kind of, like, learn, a, see a lot about his state of mind here. You know, he says, you have doomed yourselves, and you know it. And it will afford me some comfort as I wander to think that you pulled down your house when you destroyed mine. And now what ship will bear you back across so wide a sea? It will be a gray ship, yes, uh, and full of ghosts. He laughed, but his voice was cracked and hideous. <laughs> it's like an old smoker's laugh is what it sounds like. <laughs> you know, it's like he goes from being able to have this, like, beautiful really compelling speech and now it's like he can't he can't keep it together anymore um and when i read this it really hit me how messed up saruman is um like what he's referring to is that by destroying the one the power of the three elvish rings will have also ended or will be coming to an end soon um and it's clear that you know we've talked a lot about sauron judging people by their own lust or desire for power and it's like saruman is doing the same thing like he can't understand why they would allow the ring to be destroyed or why they would be a part of the ring being destroyed knowing that their power would end too i mean obviously saruman could never do that um or would never cross his mind to do that whereas you know elrond and galadriel and so forth have all conceded that that's what needs to happen in order to save the rest of middle earth but when you're only thinking about number one um the you know these are the problems that we have but i just thought that was really interesting i'm like saruman like you're i mean just to be so selfish and <laughs> only concerned with yourself it's just like and then their whole exchange with the pipe weed. It's oh my god! Silly. Just silly. I can't even believe that he speaks to them. I was like, so he like turns from Gandalf and Galadriel and goes to the Hobbit so that and like starts begging for pipe weed. <laughs> yeah, and I can't believe Mary gave it to him. I was I, like, yeah. I'd be like, uh, no. Um, and and it's funny because he's like. You know, Mary is so polite. You know, he gets down, he, he searches for it, and he hands him his leather pouch and tells him that it's, you know, you're welcome to it. It came from the Flotsam of Isengard. And Saruman is, like, he's so pissed. Like, mine, mine, yes, and dearly bought. This is only a repayment in token. For you took more, I'll be bound. Still, a beggar must be grateful if a thief returns even a morsel of his own. Well, it will serve you right when you come home if you find things less good in the South Farthing than you would like. Long may your land be short of leaf. <laughs> what a curse. I'm offended. <laughs> what a doom. 
<laughs> and Mary tries to ask for or tries to get take his uh, leather, leather pouch back, and he's like, "Wrap yeah. the weed in a rag of your own." And Saruman's like, "One thief deserves another," and I just yeah. walks away. Yeah. And that's it. Such pettiness. Oh my god. I know. They're making us all nervous about what the heck is going on in the South Farthing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sort of he's like, intent, haha, your land's on fire. I know. And it makes me think, like, I know that next time when we go to Homeward Bound, we'll finally get to Bree and, and start to learn more about what's going on in the Shire during all this time. But, you know, this is our first hint at it. And so I'm like, at what point did Saruman start messing things up? In the Shire, like pre-imprisonment at Isengard, dur- how, how he did it, I don't know. I'm just like curious about how he uh, laid the groundwork for all this. I mean, I, I have no idea, but I was assumed as, as soon as he found out halflings were involved, he's like, Haha, "Burn it." Mm, that, that, that tracks. That tracks for Saruman. Um. And, you know, by the end of many partings, I mean, they're kind of just like, okay, whatever, Saruman. Go off and do your thing, I guess. And um, Sam is obviously nervous. He's always worried about what's going on in the Shire. But they make it to Rivendell. Things are pretty nice. They get to hang out with Bilbo for a while. Bilbo is quite old by this point, but he's trying to hang in there to beat... um, what the old Tuke at, at his age trying to get past 130 or something um and you know they're just relaxing and having a good time but eventually they start to feel that itch like hey we like every this is great but we, we need to get home and um you know frodo starts to promise to bilbo that he will um come back soon and elrond is kind of like well if you don't come back super soon uh you know i think that uh bilbo will kind of come to you i mean he says it like for about this time of year when the leaves are gold before they fall look for bilbo in the woods of the shire i shall be with him and frodo (laughs) and it mentions that frodo doesn't disclose this to anybody else that this is what's going on so we start to see the groundwork being laid for frodo and Bilbo going off to the Undying Lands um, with Arwen's offer and Elrond letting him know that Bilbo is, you know, this is the last journey for Bilbo, which I think Arwen has mentioned before, like that he won't be traveling again save one, which is why he doesn't come to the wedding, even though he makes us all aware that he was invited. He was invited. He was invited. Very important to know. (laughs) Very highly regarded. Yeah. So, do you two have any other final thoughts on many partings? I mean, it's like, I feel like a lot is crammed into just a few pages truly, here. Truly. There's actually one thing that I caught this time that I guess I just didn't really think about before. Yeah. So, if we backtrack a bit mm-hmm. to when Aragorn takes his leave of Celeborn and Galadriel, um, Caliborn says to him, Kinsman, farewell. May your doom be other than mine and your treasure remain with you to the end. And I had forgotten that because we see in, in the films, of course, Galatriel and Caliborn leave together. But Galatriel takes her leave a lot, uh, much before Caliborn does. Caliborn stays in, into the fourth age for a while. Mm-hmm. Before he actually takes the ship over to Valinor. And I for, forgot that. And there's, like, this really nice, if you, like, read on the page about Celeborn, um, 
from the the I think it's from the prologue, the notes in the prologue that mm-hmm. with him basically the final memories of the elder days passed from Middle Earth. Mm. Yeah, and it's interesting that they. I mean, I can get why Galadriel pieces out sooner rather than later. Yeah, uh, after just everything, girl must be tired. Um, <laughs> for sure. But and it's interesting that Celeborn kind of waits it out, almost like they have this kind of like agreement to like, hey, like make sure that things are set up in some way. Like, of course, like the power of the ring will will fade from Lothlorien, but. Um, you know, just to wrap things up while I'm, while I'm headed out. Yeah. And it's kind of because I was thinking about it more because obviously we're watching Rings of Power now and we're watching Galatriel do all these things, but there's no mention of Caliborn yet at all. Mm-hmm. And this question of, is she married in Rings of Power? I mean, canonically she should be. They got married sometime in the first age. So she should be a wife and mother by now. We don't know if they're taking that route or not with Rings of Power. But there is precedence of them spending years, hundreds of years sometimes apart, doing their own thing, taking care of business, and then coming back together. Right. It'll be interesting to see whether they do reveal that Galadriel is married in Rings of Power, or are we going to see that love story play out? I actually hope we really get Elrond's love story to play out. I would like to see him happy. Me too. Five mm-hmm. seconds. Yeah. It would be interesting if, you know having her at some point talk about Celeborn or something, but just, like, knowing that she has this relationship, but also that it doesn't, like, it's not everything that she cares about. Like, it's not, it doesn't, mm-hmm. like, define her in any way. I think that would be interesting um, to write in that way. Just how they, you know, they've got their own stuff going on, and that's fine, you know? Or maybe at some point he'll pop up to to help out. Maybe she you know, neat calls him for something. I don't know. Yeah, as far as I know, we aren't going to see him in season one, though. Mm. There's no, no casting announcement, nothing. So maybe season two, we maybe. shall see. Yeah, I mean, I hope so. I mean, it's like mainly for Elrond's sake at this point. Because um, uh, we need uh, the Arwen, baby. <laughs> yeah, and also I want to see, uh, you know, Caliborn before he became the trophy husband because he was actually yes. you know, a pretty tough guy too. I think yeah. he was. Yes. Agree. <laughs> uh, when I so like when I was reading just to skip back before we get into Rings of Power stuff, if we do get into any of that, um, when uh, when they're visiting Bilbo at Elrond's, Bilbo mm-hmm. asks Frodo um, to tidy his notes and get his things together, and that kind of made me think of. Like the father, J.R.R., talking to his son, Christopher. Oh, like, my gosh. Getting getting all my notes Stop together. And, and compiling them after he's gone and, like, putting the stories together and all that stuff. And How that, very dare you? <laughs> so sweet. <laughs> yeah, that's the thought I had. Oh, I didn't even... That's so sweet. I didn't even think about that. Um, but I love it. Yeah, that you know, and it's funny because I know that there's like different quotes everywhere about like Tolkien has kind of like uh, he identified with Faramir in some ways, but I'm like, mm-hmm. you are such a the Bilbo. Like, <laughs> there's just something about it where it's like I can see a lot of like self um, 
insertion in some ways with Bilbo. Every author does it. Whether they want to admit it or not, every author, there's a little bit of a self-insert in one of your characters, maybe a couple of your characters, because at the end of the day, you're drawing upon your own memories and experiences and feelings in order to create something. Mm-hmm. And it just, like, it just makes me think about, like, I don't know, because there is some, like, professory vibes about Bilbo to me, um, so I totally see that, and and I love that even if Tolkien wasn't necessarily thinking about, I mean, at this point, when did these come out? Like, 50s? Before, uh... Yeah, in the 50s. Um, you know, wasn't maybe, I mean, he's what, like 20 something years away from. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, no, these were early. He wasn't like he was writing these from his deathbed or anything. No, uh, but it, it's interesting to think about that he always, he even with uh, The Hobbit, he had Christopher review it, right? So yeah. I, I think that they definitely had that, that close relationship. And, you know, I could imagine him thinking of how he would want things to be preserved um and knowing he had so many notes so uh i just think that's cute yeah just just like thinking about how he may have wanted things to keep going even if he wasn't there anymore it's cute that's a cute call out callie (laughs) thank you i love it (laughs) so i mean that's really all i had for um, Stuart and the King and uh, many partings which means that next time we're talking Homeward Bound we're talking Scouring of the Shire and the Grey Oh my goodness I know. This will be our last our last like trilogy episode right? Yeah so what the plan is after that is we're going to do some uh wrap-up stuff we're going to be talking about like our favorite moments from the book and the movie just like in their own right without like really talking comparison sake um maybe we talk some more about the music um because that's something that's like distinctly movie that we Mm -hmm. haven't got to touch on too much um except for moments here and there um and then we have we have a couple of other special episodes planned before we wrap up the season, and um, yeah, put a put a pin in Lord of the Rings. What a journey! I know it's crazy. I've loved this. I've become so much m- more re-familiar with the text and the trilogy, and yeah, there's yeah. something interesting about. I mean, because I was doing this thing where I would just read them by themselves pretty much every year. And then, of course, I would watch the movies whenever the feeling hit, you know. And, um, but not really, you know, occasionally I would be like, oh, hey, that's a little different. But then I was like, but then doing this really direct one-to-one comparison, I've noticed so many more things than, you know, I had previously. Or certain things jump out at you more than they did uh, in the past. So I think it's been a really interesting exercise um, and I'm excited for what that looks like for season two. 
Yay! Yay. <laughs> Amazing. I'm trying not to get too nostalgic over here. <laughs> you know. <laughs> That's for the wrap up episode. <laughs> yes, yes. We'll save it, save it for then. We'll save it for then. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So thank you both so much. This was really fun. Oh, of course, of course. And well, he is barking at being, me. You are being summoned. That is the oh. end of podcast bell right there. <laughs> what if I just like ended it with his bark? <laughs> just like, <laughs> and we're done. <laughs> I know he's uh, being very sassy. Um, but yeah, but thank you guys both so much. Um, we will definitely all be talking soon, but, uh, I'm, I'm still in a little bit of shock that we've almost made it through the whole actual story. So still, uh, wrestling with, with those thoughts. <laughs> Nostalgia episode. Do, 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 do. <laughs> Thank you, so, Andy, for another yeah. wonderful conversation as always. Thanks for having me again. Thank you. And with that, we'll see you all next time on Talking with Friends.